So you should be in Acts chapter 8 by now. Let me set the context for you, and then we'll read verses 1 through 8. Acts 8 follows the death of Stephen, one of seven deacons who is set apart for the care of widows back in chapter 6. He is described as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 7, we get to see his faith in action because he pleads begs for the men of the synagogue who are beginning to persecute him. He begs for them to see that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, but instead they accuse him of blasphemy against Moses and against God. Acts 7.51 says they are a stiff-necked people resisting the Holy Spirit, and so they eventually take him outside the city and stone him. They stone Stephen to death. Where Stephen, like Jesus, says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. At this point in the story, if you're reading through Acts and you get to chapter, the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, we could be forgiven for thinking that Christianity is about to die. If people full of faith and the Holy Spirit, who according to verse 8 of chapter 1 is going to come on us in power and make us witnesses to the ends of the earth, but if people who get full of the Holy Spirit simply get taken out of the city and stoned to death, how in the world is God's mission going to go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth? Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Saul who later would become Paul on the Damascus Road, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, meaning Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Would you pray with me? God, may it be that there would be much rejoicing in our city May it be that there would be much rejoicing in the cities around the world because there's a church here at 6402 Peters Creek Road that's willing to be scattered for the sake of the name which is above every name. We ask it in our Lord's name, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I believe there's two principles that we find in this text, which are enduring for the church in every age, right? Acts is a bit of a tricky book because it's hard to discern sometimes which portions of Acts are programmatic for the church and which portions of Acts are descriptive of this transition that's happening in the life of the church as the Holy Spirit comes in power as the gospel goes to Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. But there are two 
concepts in Acts chapter 8 that I am convinced characterize the church in every age. And it is this, for us to be a faithful and fruitful church, for us to be a faithful and fruitful people in the kingdom of God, there's two things that we need to see about ourselves in this text. First, we need to live as those that God has scattered to fulfill his great commission. And secondly, we must trust God to prove the power of his gospel against all odds. We must live as though God, those God has scattered to fulfill his great commission. And secondly, we must trust God to, pr to prove the power of his gospel against all odds. But, but first, before we cover this first point this morning, I want to share with you a brief word about persecution. Because persecution is all over this text of Scripture. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, observed, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, wherever you see the church being persecuted, paradoxically, that is where it seems the church seems to grow the fastest where the church has to prove the authenticity of their faith by being even willing to die for the gospel, that is where you see the church exploding. I was reading an article just this week about how in the Middle East, ISIS is doing terrible things, and you would cringe at it. You would say, Lord, that's terrible. Lord, please come. And indeed, it is terrible. And yet, through the persecution of the church, we see revivals springing up across Arab nations unlike ever before because people are proving the authenticity of their faith even as they go to a cross as their Savior did. Persecution does not stop the gospel. God somehow uses it, works in the midst of it to spread the gospel. The church scatters as far as Antioch over in verse 20 of chapter 11 in Acts and that church is planted because of the persecution that happens of the church in Jerusalem that we've just read about. And later, Paul is called to his first missionary journey out of a church at Antioch started by people fleeing the persecution that he started. Do you get that? Paul persecutes the church, the church scatters, the church at Antioch is planted, and later Paul, who was formerly called Saul, who's converted on the road to Damascus, gets called to be a missionary to the nations out of a church that was started because he started to persecute the church. Now that's an awesome God who can not only change a heart, but can use a church that's planted because of the persecution that he started to call him out to go be a missionary to the nations. And then Paul who started the persecution, becomes very familiar with persecution himself. It is persecution that moves Paul along in his missionary journeys and ultimately gets him to Rome where the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. And I've listed some of those verses there. Every time it seems like Paul might settle down and be somewhere for a while, guess what? Persecution comes and, God, and Paul moves on to the next city and ultimately it is through persecution that Paul gets to Rome and the gospel gets to the ends of the earth. It's fitting that Paul is the one who reminds Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The story of the fulfilling of the Great Commission is the story of a persecuted church. Persecution is what we find in this text, is it not? In verse 1, it is a great persecution. The word great refers to the intensity of the persecution and the number of the persecution. We learn in Acts chapter 4 verse 4 that the church is already 5,000 strong and yet this persecution is great. It 
is comprehensive. In fact, it tells us it reaches all the church. It goes from house to house. It's a comprehensive persecution. It leaves no stone unturned. No one in the church is left unscathed. Verse 3. It includes men and women being dragged off. And the word dragged off there means dragged off before a judge. And then they are imprisoned. It's a personal persecution. It's not just, it shows up on my doorstep, but people are dragging me off personally and putting me before a magistrate and putting me in prison. And Saul ravages the church. The word ravages means he tears apart, destroys, makes havoc, devastates. It's a painful persecution. Persecution is a very real element of how God allows the church to be spread among the nations. Now, to be sure, this does not mean that God delights in our persecution. Jesus confronts Paul on the road to Damascus and says, Paul, or rather Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God sees the persecution of his church as the persecution of his own son. Nevertheless, God does at times allow persecution Because persecution prevents us from becoming comfortable and it moves us into places that do not yet have the gospel. You see, persecution often serves as the incredibly dark canvas upon which the light of the gospel is most clearly seen. A word about persecution before we dive into the two main points of our sermon this morning. I don't know what's going to happen on November the 8th in our country. I don't know if the trajectory of religious persecution that is being masked right now is going to become more overt or not. I don't know who we're going to elect, and candidly, I'm not too excited about my options. We'll talk more about that starting next week. But here's the reality. No matter what happens on November the 8th, and no matter who's inaugurated in January of 2017, here's a sure word whether it's more hostility toward the church or lessening hostility toward toward the church, the gospel is going to go forth and the king of kings is on the march and he's going to get the victory through his church no matter what happens on November the 8th. We must live, North Roanoke Baptist Church, as those who have been scattered to fulfill our Savior's great commission. The scattering of the church is not accidental. God scatters us for his glory and the gospel's advance. In verse 1, how does Luke describe the church? They were all scattered. How does he describe the church in verse 4? The church is called those who had been scattered. One biblical scholar says this, for the New Testament church, listen, being scattered is the divinely ordained means of providing a beachhead for the spread of the gospel into alien territory. If all we do is huddle up here on Sunday and never think about the gospel the rest of the week as we're scattered among the nations into our workplaces, how will the gospel go forth? Though men are persecuting the church, It is God who is scattering his church. We often view being scattered as a negative concept, don't we? The Israelites, when they were attacked by Assyria, they were scattered among the nations in judgment. If we're scatterbrained, 
as I was this week because I had a sinus infection that decided to lodge in my right ear and all I could do was be dizzy and feel nauseous all week. If we're scatterbrained, we're not very productive, are we? If we are scattershot in our approach to tackling a project, that means we're random, we're inefficient, and we're ineffective. If my sermon notes get all scattered, then we'll all be in a world of hurt this morning. Scattered is not necessarily a good concept, and yet God can take even a concept that we assume is negative and use it for a very positive outcome. God is intending for his church to be in an ongoing state of scatteredness. I don't think that's a word. I made it up. But God wants us to be scattered among the nations. The state of the church is not just gathered together on Sunday and for potlucks and for prayer times and all the times that we gather. There is an element of which the church should be scattered. It's called the other six days of the week. We're to be scattered among the nations. You see, a scattered church is not easily sidetracked by prosperity, programs, personality conflict, or paralysis by analysis. The scattered church is on the run right through enemy territory, and her only hope, just like the church here in Acts, the only hope they had was that they loved one another, they loved Jesus, and they had the hope of the gospel. And that's all they had. And I submit to you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, that we need to be careful not to become like other churches who want to have all these great things, but they lose hope of the gospel which binds us together and the spirit which takes us to the nations in power. If we could have our own way, let's be honest for a minute, if we could have our own way in our own flesh, we would prefer to get together, build our own modern day tower of Babel and make a name for ourselves. But God's plan is that we would gather for the praise of his name and then scatter for the proclamation of his great name, not ours. When we live scattered, we enter regions where the mission has not yet been fulfilled. We encounter people and cultures who are unfamiliar and uncomfortable. In the language of Jonah, when God scatters us, we finally get to Nineveh. Here in Acts 8, here we find, excuse me, in Acts 1-8, that what was promised in Acts 1-8 is finally being fulfilled. That the Holy Spirit was going to come in power and the gospel was going to not just stay bottled up in Jerusalem, but it was going to go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You know, the, the church at Jerusalem was an outstanding megachurch. They had the 12 best elders in the history of elders. They had the 12 apostles. They had 5,000 people coming on Sunday. Can you imagine the building campaign that they could have had? Can you imagine the programs they could have run? Can you imagine the economy of scale that they had? The children's programming they had was bananas, man. The fall, the fall party, their trunk or treat, would have trumped anything that we could put on. All the church growth strategists from all over the world would come and study the church at Jerusalem. And how can we just keep adding to the church at Jerusalem? They were comfortable, man. They got the 12 best elders in the world. They got... They got more people than they got pews for. They don't know what to do. And God says, did you forget about the Great Commission? You're supposed to go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth with the gospel. And if you'll not go, then I'll allow some persecution to come that you might finally get with the program and scatter among the nations. We're to live scattered. God is scattering us with his gospel, sending us to people who would otherwise never know of his love for them. My son Samuel, when he was a little bit younger, we had an alphabet puzzle so he could learn his alphabet. 
And we lived in a small town home in Raleigh where we did homeschool and eating and living all in our dining room. It was awesome. We had 1,400 square feet but lived in about 300. And um, my son would always lose a puzzle piece or 10. But for whatever reason, we could never find the letter F. The letter F would always get scattered to the most inconvenient places, you know, back where the real dust bunnies are way under the dresser or way under the bookshelf. The point here is that when God scatters us, he gets us to places we would have never otherwise gone or strategized about. He sends us to the most bizarre places when he scatters us. And it is in those places that his gospel goes forth and power and people encounter the love of God and they repent of their sin and they believe on the name of Jesus and they are saved. When we live scattered, we have an opportunity to declare and to demonstrate the gospel to multitudes. We see this in verses 4 through 7. In verse 4, those who were scattered went about or went everywhere. The word literally suggests a wide and comprehensive coverage of an ever-expanding territory. And do you notice what they did? Not, Not the apostles, right? The apostles are still in Jerusalem, but everybody else goes and look what they do. They preach the word or they bring the good news. In other words, they tell the good news. Now, what was the good news? Hey, we're being persecuted in our homeland and we're on the run. No, that's not the good news. The good news was, though we're being persecuted and we're on the run, God loves us. He sent his son to save us. I've been cleansed and purified and delivered from my sin. And you might want to consider this Jesus too. The gospel's no longer bottled up in Jerusalem. It's going out through ordinary people announcing the most extraordinary news. In verse 5, Philip goes down to Samaria. Not Philip the apostle, but a deacon who was set apart along with Stephen back in chapter 6. Philip, who is later called the evangelist in verse 8 of chapter 21 of Acts. And notice what Philip does. He proclaims Christ to them. This is not the same word, proclaim, as the word for preach in verse 4 or to share the good news in verse 4. It's a very particular term. It's the word in the Greek called keruso. I don't like to use Greek in the pulpit, but if you'll allow me this one exception. Keruso means to proclaim or to herald Christ the Messiah. It's the same word used in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 where Paul charges Timothy, preach the word, herald the word, keruso the word, be ready in season and out of season. To keruso Christ is to boldly proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. In other words, To proclaim Christ is to do exactly what Stephen had done a few verses earlier that got him stoned to death. So you know what Philip shows us? He shows us that the message which offends is still the message we must preach. We can't sugarcoat the gospel. We can't water down the gospel. We can't leave the sin and the judgment out of the gospel because without those elements, we leave and destroy the gospel. In verse 6, the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by 
Philip. Notice what they were giving attention to. Not to Philip, not to the signs that he was working. They were giving attention to what was said by Philip. The signs that he performed were merely to authenticate the gospel message. And once the message was authenticated, all they needed was the word of God. It is the gospel that brings life. In verse 7, the word many occurs twice. Many were delivered. Many were healed. Now here's a question for us, North Rona. Do we believe that God can still scatter his local church and reach many? Do we still pray for God to reach our whole city? Do we still long for God to reach an entire neighborhood? So often we can get fixated on the onesies and the twosies, and we should indeed cultivate deep personal relationships where we pray for individuals. But did you see that it's okay for us to want God to use us to reach many for his great name? I can't read this text without re-examining my own expectations of what God can do. While God may or may not work, physical miracles through us, he will surely give us eyes to see the hurts and the pains and the needs that are all around us. And he will give us heads and hearts and hands to do something about it. You see, evangelism is not primarily y'all come to church. Evangelism is primarily let's go and see what God does when we get there. David Peterson adds this, persecution leads to gospel growth not because a mission plan is approved and put into action, but because ordinary believers take the opportunities given to them to preach the apostolic message wherever they go. God wants to move us, North Roanoke, out of our homes, out of our church buildings, and he wants to thrust us right back into the marketplace and among the marginalized with the gospel as our only hope. And look what happens when we do this. Did you read verse 8? There was much rejoicing in that city. When the church scatters, the ends of the earth have reason to rejoice because the gospel is on the way. Secondly, to be a church that's faithful and fruitful in the kingdom of God, we must trust God to prove the power of his gospel against all odds. And apparently I did not fix that slide. So it's not what's on the slide. We must trust God To prove the power of his gospel against all odds. You see, being scattered forces us to rely entirely upon God. The church, for the first time, had to go with the gospel without the apostles. Did you see that in verse 1? Except the apostles. The apostles may have stayed behind to share the gospel with those devout men who buried Stephen. We don't know exactly why the apostles stayed behind, but apparently there were some devout men, likely God-fearing Jews, who heard what Stephen said and were interested in the gospel. And so the apostles stay behind to train these devout men and to work alongside these devout men. But what that means for the church is suddenly they're running uh, out of the city into the nations with no pastoral leadership, with no elders. Elders around them. And you know what? That's a wonderful thing. Isn't it great that the church is designed to exceed the capacities of your pastoral staff? Do you know, North Roanoke, if if everything we do and plan and purpose to do has to have a pastor at it, we'll never be the church that God intends for us to be. Let me, let me say that again. 
If everything we plan and purpose to do has to have a pastor's stamp of approval or validation or his presence in order for it to be certifiable, we'll never get the gospel out as far or as deep or as wide in this valley as God wants it to go. If if you're in Glimber, out in Glimber working, and God's doing a work in Glimber, and Daniel doesn't find out about it until 10 people walk down the aisle and you walk with them and say, my whole company's just been saved, then praise God. May that happen in our day. You see, expecting a few thousand believers running from persecution to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel seems preposterous. At the end of the first sentence in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we should be seemingly defeated. Being scattered is uncomfortable. It's risky. It forces us out of what's familiar. It makes us see people in pains we would not otherwise see. It's inconvenient, but God doesn't work according to human wisdom. He's never worked that way. And so often in church life, we say the gospel confounds the wise. But then once we get into church life, we'll just take a bunch of business principles and apply them to the church and everything's going to run according to a business plan. That's not how God works. Paul says the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. North Roanoke Baptist Church, can we trust God? Can we trust the God who scatters his church into the most unlikely places with the most unlikely message that we might meet the most amazing God who sent his son in the most unlikely way that we might be delivered over from our sin, from death to life and from darkness to light? Can we trust this God? Yes, we can. How is it? that we can overcome our mental and our emotional objections to allowing God to place us among people and send us to people that we would never otherwise encounter for his glory, we must trust God. We can't build or brand our way to gospel effectiveness, but we can scatter and proclaim and meet needs and trust God to prove himself mighty to save as we go to work, to the golf course, to the bowling alley, to the grocery store, to the child care center, and wherever it is else is that God is sending you this week. We can trust God to meet us there and to give us eyes to see the opportunity that is all around us. David Peterson writes, God and the gospel are not defeated by human opposition, no matter how evil and intense. Frank Thielman adds this, the inevitable, we see in these verses, the inevitable triumph of God's desire to fulfill his saving purpose in all its breath. Whether it's Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or someone else, at the end of the day, nothing is going to stop God's saving desire to reach the world for the glory of his son in our day. At the end of chapter 7, things look bleak. By verse 8, Jesus is winning the nations. Once more, God turns the world, as he did in Jonah, upside down. Though Stephen dies, many are healed. Hardened rejection of the gospel in Jerusalem becomes heartfelt gospel reception outside the city. House-to-house persecution in verse 1 becomes place-to-place gospel proclamation in verse 4. Demons who were content to suck up the souls of those they inhabited were now screeching in defeat. Great persecution in verse 1 becomes great joy in verse 8 as many believed and turned to the Lord. God wins. 
not just in the end. He's winning right now. He's winning through the scattering of his church right now. He's winning through the people that God is scattering among the nations with the gospel as their only hope. So what should we do in light of what God has said about his church in Acts chapter 8? Four things. Trust God to use us to bring his joy to the nations and demonstrate his saving power against all odds. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you Christ's eyes to see where he might lead you to encourage your family or your small group to reach the multitudes with the gospel where they live. In other words, are you a part of a Sunday school class? If you're not, I want to encourage you to be a part of one. It's where you really get to know people and to pray with one another and they, you know what, hang out and have fun. But you know what? In your Bible study class, what if once a quarter you found a way to be outside of these walls doing something for the sake of the gospel among people that you don't yet know? Thirdly, live scattered. Pursue places and people that are uncomfortable for the sake of Christ and proclaim Christ in those places. I, I'm hanging out at Secura lately because they have sushi. You know, what I, you know what they also have at Secura? They have people who came, who immigrated here from China. Their English isn't the best. They don't know what a church is. They don't know what the gospel is. You want to know how I know? Because I've been starting to ask them. Because my hope is one day that I'll be able to bring to North Roanoke Baptist Church some Chinese people who've immigrated here to serve up some really awesome sushi who don't know English very well to hopefully hear the gospel, trust Christ, and who knows, they might end up taking the gospel back to China. I don't know. But live in places where you would not normally live. Break your routines. Go to a different grocery store. Go to a different gas station. Stop somewhere you don't typically stop and see if God might be up to something there that you would have an opportunity to share the gospel and to be the love of God in that place. Finally, be an everyday missionary. Refuse to reduce the Christian life and the Christian work to what happens in a church building. You have a bulletin in front of you, and about 95% of the announcements in your bulletin are based right here in this building. And that's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. We need you to serve and to help and to labor in many, many ways. We need coaches for our upward basketball program. But you know what? We also need to recognize the opportunity that God is giving us to serve as an ambassador of the gospel every day we put on our work clothes and go to the office. Every day we put on our work clothes and work on a car. God is sending us to the nations. Who is the scattered church? It's you. It's me. It's us. So I am urging you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, to cooperate with God in being a people who go in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite Kim to come and to play softly. We're going to do something a bit different this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as Kim comes to play. I've asked Pastor Rick to pray a prayer of commissioning for what I'm going to call our student section. Now, I know not all of you are students. That's okay. It, it will cover you as well. But I've asked Pastor Rick 
to open our time of prayer with a prayer of commissioning for everyone in this section. Then I've asked Pastor Daryl to pray a prayer of commissioning for this section, and then I'll, I'll try to pray a prayer of commissioning for the, these center sections jointly. What I want to ask you to do is reach out and just grab the hand of the person next to you. Whether you're a first-timer or a long-timer, God is calling us to be on mission together. And hopefully this will serve as a visible reminder of the fact that God has given us the privilege of all being missionaries together. Pastor Rip. Let's pray. Guys, we come, we just uh, look over this section where each week students set. Thank you for just the students you've, you've given us. But Lord, in that and in, in our thoughts, the mission field that they're in. Lord, I know on a day-to-day -day basis there's a, a level of persecution there. Uh, a level of the world that says uh, their process, their way is glitz and glitter. Their way is more fun, more enjoyable than the Christian life. Or the tension that happens in students' lives at times and processing walking with you or walking with Satan uh, is real. But we got some great students, Lord, that I ask that you would give the vision of reaching out and touching those that are near them. Kind of the battle cry that we began at Northside, this sea at the pole, Lord, is you kind of laid on my heart the, the, the desk next to them. God, I'd ask that they would, get, would begin to vision the desks that are beside them in the various classes and the students that are sitting beside them. Lord, their hurts, their pains, their needs, all of which in one sense feels very deep but is superficial to the need of the gospel. And God, that you would help our students catch that vision, begin in relationship and in chat, and conversations and, and chatting with others looking for opportunity for your gospel to get out, to be heard. And Lord, historically, as we think about great awakening, students have been involved. And even in this, in our, our pastor's heartbeat of looking at your word and wanting to see you move in a great way, God, my heart is that students lead the way. God, I ask that you would lead us and guide us in that, that we would hear from your Holy Spirit, that we would respond to your Holy Spirit, Lord, and we would do what you've called us to do as we walk out of this building. And we pray this, Lord, in your name. Heavenly Father, you've given to us your word. You have revealed your truth to us through your grace and your mercy towards us. You've made known to us, Father, that you've included us as your children in your kingdom. You've made known to us, Father, that not only did Jesus come into this world to, to save us from our sins, but, but Father, his, your, your plan of redemption includes us. God, that you would, you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses to do nothing less than the very work that Jesus did while he was on the face of this earth but Heavenly Father 
this prayer of commissioning also includes a, a prayer of confession. Lord, we, we confess that we find ourselves committing the sin of silence. We find ourselves over, being overcome with a spirit of timidity and disobedience and insensitivity to those that are around us. And so, Heavenly Father, as we gather here today, as we sit and as we've listened to your Spirit speak to us through your Word, we respond to you, Father, by saying, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us with that very Spirit that you said that you would send to us that would empower us to be your witnesses. God, fill us with a spirit of, of obedience. Fill us with a spirit of, of boldness. Fill us with a spirit of faith and trust and confidence and the glorious power of the gospel to transform lives. And so, Father, as we leave this place, God, we want to go. We want to go in faith. We want to go in confidence. And we want to go in the authority of nothing less than the sovereign God of the universe who's made known to us and wants to make known to everyone his love and his compassion and his grace and his mercy to all. that you're putting before us every week. Give us your gospel feet to take the gospel into even hard places. And Lord, I pray that you would use the men and women gathered here holding hands this morning as a mighty team for the sake of the gospel, a spirit-inhabited and spirit-indwelled, spirit-filled team going to our disparate places throughout the week and then gathering week after week to share mission updates, mission reports, what it is you're doing in the field as Christ is advancing and the kingdom is expanding as we go in Jesus' name. Keep us clean before you. Keep us close together and close to Christ. And may your mission go forth in power. And may you use us in the process. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. May be well remain standing. We're gonna sing to the Lord. The stand as we close. Some of you this morning may not yet be a missionary because you have not yet repented of your sin and received the gospel. We invite you to come this morning and receive new life in Christ. If you're a believer but you're not yet a member of North Roanoke, you want to be a part of a church that believes every member matters and every member is a missionary being deployed, then we invite you to come join us on mission together because the valley needs every single one of us living on mission for Christ. Christ is worthy of every single one of us giving voice to his gospel, amen? So if you want to be a part of a church that's that, like that, we invite you to come.